Hi, my name is Stephen Mansfield, and this is your 15. The 15, uh, the topic of our 15 today is uh, how to repair a broken marriage covenant. Now, in the previous two 15s that we have done in this little mini-series on the marriage covenant, uh, what is the marriage covenant part one was the first one, what is the marriage covenant part two is the second one, we've been looking at this idea of the marriage covenant. In addition to everything else that marriage is, marriage biblically is a covenant. It's an agreement between a man and a woman to do certain things that God defines in the scriptures, and it's also an agreement between the man and the woman separately to God that they're going to do certain things for each other. Lord, I commit to love my wife and lay down my life for her and not uh, remove myself from her sexually and to treat her with respect and with consideration. The woman says, I, I, I'm committed to submitting to my husband in, the, in, a, in a proper biblical way, not some extreme uh, destructive way. Um, and, I, and I'm giving myself to him sexually and I respect him and I'll be pure and reverent and all those things the scriptures require. Well, the, the beauty of the marriage covenant is not only that it gives you something firm that you've committed to. But, but, but a number of other things. Uh, first of all, when we walk in the marriage covenant, then God honors that commitment and our devotion to doing the things he requires in Scripture, and he comes in and works by his Holy Spirit. You see, what usually happens with marriage is that people get married based on their needs, and so we go through the world, we date, we, we, we experience people, and then we find somebody and, what, and we go, man, she's awesome, she's hot, she's great, wow, I want to be with her. Um, but what is sort of happening under the surface of our soul is that we're saying, I think she can fix me. I think they, there are things about her that, that will meet my needs. And maybe she's thinking the same thing because we all kind of live, you know, with kind of a, what do we need? What do, what, do I, what do I want to fill me out, to make me whole, to make me happy? I need this. I need that. Well, if you come into the marriage need-based, then you come into the marriage with a vacuum. And so it, it's, it's, one person has said it's like this. I've got my little cup and my cup is not flowing over. My cup is empty. And so what I'm saying to my, my wife, or let's say I'm dating my potential wife, I'm, I'm saying, fill my cup. Here, fill my cup. I've just got a little bit in my cup. Fill my cup. Well, she's holding her cup out. She's saying, fill my cup. I, I need some things. My, my father wasn't all that. My mother wasn't all that. And, you know, was, I've had problems. I've had wounds. I've had abuse. I, I need for you to fix me. So they come in, and they are both in need, demanding, asking for each other, pulling from each other. Well, what's that going to do? It's going to make the marriage a tug of war. I think I've used this illustration somewhere else. Uh, maybe some of you have heard it before, but I, I've done some scuba diving in my life, and I used to handle uh, a big vacuum device that was used for doing archaeological work underwater. It would pull the sand off the, off the thing and, and sort of pull, suck the sand away, and the, the debris, and allow us to see what was laying on the bottom of the ocean. Well, I wasn't very good at handling this thing because it was very powerful. And I'd get, I'd, I'd get, all, get it out of control, and, and it would pull my partner's mask off, or it would suck a fish in, you know, and everybody would laugh at me because I wasn't very good at it. And the thing that, the thing that I realized was it's, that's exactly how some people come into marriage. We come in with this great big vacuum cleaner, and we say, I need things from you. <laughs> you know, we're trying to pull from each other. We want the other person to fix us. And we have a need-based marriage that's always going to fail. A need-based marriage, a marriage where you come in and say, look, we, we, uh, what I want from you is for you to give things to me, and the other person says the same thing. Again, it turns the marriage into a tug of war. The covenantal approach says, I'm going to get whatever help I need to be whole in Jesus, but 
I'm committing to certain things in this marriage. I'm going to do the things that God obligates me to do, and I'm going to trust him to provide uh, the, the things that his Holy Spirit can provide in this marriage, that we can be heirs together of the grace of life. And so it, it, this, this accomplishes a couple things. It removes the need-based thing. Yes, you've got needs, and yes, they need to be met, but you're not holding your spouse hostage to meeting those needs. How many, uh, you know, we, we now have a no-fault divorce. What does it really mean? It means she wasn't meeting my needs, but she didn't do anything illegal. That's really what that means. A covenant of marriage means that there are not only things that I can do that I'm obligated to do, but that I'm not expecting of her any, anything, anything else. I pastored in West Texas for a lot of years. Uh, and I remember an older gentleman who'd been married a couple of times said, look, I want my wife to make the biscuits every morning. If I don't find a wife that'll make the biscuits every morning, I'll find another wife. There are plenty of women out here. This was the kind of covenant he was making. He wanted biscuits every morning. He wanted a wife to keep the house clean. That's what he wanted. He'd pay the bills. In his mind, that was the covenant. That's a recipe for a failed marriage. That's a recipe for abuse. So the marriage covenant gives us a way to repair what's broken. If my wife flips out and starts, who knows, doing things she shouldn't do, being harsh with me, being immoral, whatever, I still have a covenant with her. I still have a covenant with God. And I say, Lord, even though my wife's being crazy, I'm going to love her. I'm going to lay down my life for her. I'm going to pray for her. I'm going to wash her by the water of the word. I'm going to give myself to her sexually. I'm going to protect her and respect her and be not be harsh with her. And all those things that we've already identified are part of the marriage covenant for a man. Uh, what I'm not doing is going to her and demanding the things I think she ought to give me. I think we ought to have chocolate chip cookies every night. And I think you ought to be available every minute for sex. And I'm honor all those. No, no, no. That's not, that's not a biblical marriage covenant. That's a, that's a man-made vanity covenant. So the, the, the covenant of God not only gives us practical things that we can do and be committed to with each other, but it also means that we've committed to the Lord. You know, there was a controversy not too long ago in the American church where a famous pastor said that uh, if a woman, if a wife develops Alzheimer's, that the man has the right to divorce her. Um, I'm not going to bring condemnation to anybody in that situation. That's a tough, heart-rending situation. But my understanding of the marriage covenant is that I am committed to that covenant uh, with my wife uh, as unto the Lord until my wife breaks that covenant. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So I, I love this attitude of the marriage covenant because it doesn't have me coming into the marriage demanding. It doesn't have me coming in insisting. It has me coming in committing to the Lord. You've given me this wonderful vessel. You've given me this, this amazing woman. My wife's name is Bev. You've given me Bev, and I, I, I love her. I feel a lot of things for her, but, I, but aside from my feelings, I'm committed to laying down my life for her. I'm committed to providing for her materially. I'm committed to being uh, gentle with her and, and pastoring her and being that guardian coach we talked about from Ephesians 5 before. I think this is all important because if we don't do this, we turn the home into a war zone of unmet needs. And we almost always make up another covenant. You see, marriage is meant to be covenantal. And what happens is people will just make up their own covenants. Uh, I, I've seen weird covenants as people come into the church. You know, if I, all he wanted was that I'll give him sex and he makes money. I mean, that, that's, that's so empty and so materialistic. It's not going to satisfy people's souls. Or the gentleman that I referenced, she just needs to make the biscuits and I'll pay the bills. I mean, what a foolish empty, vain, ungodly covenant. But we'll make new kinds of covenants to replace the covenant of God if we don't understand the covenant of God. And what I love is 
that when my marriage gets into trouble, and every marriage gets into trouble for a season, you are going to fight. You know, marriage is two sinners under the same roof, for heaven's sakes. First one to the cross wins, you know. As one of my pastor friends says, marriage is an institution designed to kill you. It's designed to help you get rid of your own flesh and desires and demands and give yourself to somebody else unreservedly. I love that definition and I love that challenge. And that's what, 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 it, what the marriage covenant does is give me something practical to commit to as unto the Lord to care for my wife and then God comes in and changes things. Now, when you are in trouble maritally, there may be psychological factors and Lord knows we have certainly psycholog psycholo psychologized marriage in the church. But don't forget the covenant. Don't forget what you committed to. Don't forget uh, that this is the obligation that you have because doing these things and asking the Lord to honor them will heal your marriage. There may be other factors. You know, maybe you've got a spouse who's been sexually abused and they need some help on the side outside of this, this area of the covenant. But, but this covenant gives you something to, to, to wrap your mind around, to give yourself to, to obey, to restore, to strengthen. It, also for men, just given the way we think, it's a checklist. Uh, am, I, am I doing all of this? Have I, even, even while I've been teaching this series, because I love my wife so much, I, I've thought of some things. I can be better at that. Even while I'm talking to you behind, back here in my brain, I'm saying, you know, I can probably do that better when I, when I get on the plane and fly home and, and, uh, and go back to Bev. So always you have a checklist of things that you can, you can do better and, and that help you. Men need that especially. Women are a little bit more relational. Men are a bit more duty-oriented, but it helps a man to know what his duties are. Now, one of the things that is, that is really important is the issue of divorce. We have a lot of divorce in our society. And it's interesting that most, most of that divorce comes because, again, the home becomes a tug of war of unmet needs because we don't understand the covenant, and, we, and men especially don't understand the idea of laying down their lives for their wives. The Bible does allow us, so to speak, out of the covenant for two reasons. And I believe we ought to know what those reasons are, and I believe people who have been wronged in marriage should confront the opportunity to leave when these things happen and make a decision one way or the other. The Bible says that if your spouse breaks the covenant through adultery, that you are no longer obligated and you may leave. They have broken that covenant before God and man, and that covenant uh, can be restored, but the offended spouse has the, has the right to leave. I've sometimes made people nervous because when there's been adultery in a marriage, I turn to the uh, non-adulterous spouse and I say, now, you have the obligation, you have the opportunity to leave. And leave if you want to. Let's decide that now because we don't want you to hold that over his head for the rest of, uh, of your life or her head for the rest of their lives. Decide now. You're staying, you're leaving. Let's talk that through. And then once they stay, they rebuild that covenant. The second thing, the only other thing that the scriptures allow uh, a, a person to leave a marriage, leave the marriage covenant over and consider that the marriage covenant is broken, is abandonment. And abandonment means a number of things. It can mean that the spouse leaves. It can mean that the guy just moves off to another city and says, I'm done with this marriage, abandons, in the true sense of that word, to leave them. It can also mean that that person in dramatic ways completely abrogates, completely gives up the obligations of the covenant to that wife. For example, repeated serial physical abuse is absolutely abandonment. You understand what I'm saying? Um, also to live in the home and do not lift a finger to help earn or care for the home. Uh, I remember a situation where I was pastoring once and the wife was working, the kids were working, the man, fully able-bodied man sat home, watched TV, abused everybody physically and demanded that they all earn the money. 
when he would not change that, when he would not repent, our, our leadership said, well, absolutely, she, she has the right to leave. He has abandoned that family, even though he's sitting right there in the easy chair. So you understand the concept. You abandon the terms of the covenant. It doesn't mean you break one little part of the covenant. We're all going to break it from time to time in the sense that I might be impatient one day or, you know, we might have a fight and not come together sexually. You understand what I'm saying. But the, the beauty of this is this covenantal idea is it removes all the gushy emotional things about marriage. I mean, if, if marriage is only about emotions, then everybody would end up divorced because there's going to be a time at some point in your life, you're not going to be very, very happy about your spouse. You'd be mad for a day or a week or a month or disappointed in them because of something that they did. That's normal. That gets worked out covenantally. But divorce is a different thing. Divorce happens only because of adultery and some form of abandonment. That's what the Bible says breaks the covenant. And at that point, the other spouse is free to leave. They don't have to. They can restore, they can repair, they can forgive, they can move on, but they, but they have the opportunity to leave. Now, what, what I love about this idea of the marriage covenant is that it is what secures the blessing of God. God is not going to bless you going into a marriage and demanding of your spouse that they meet your needs as though you screw a vacuum cleaner hose into their chest and start sucking everything in them out. No, that's, that's not, God's not going to bless that. God's not going to bless your selfishness. God's not going to bless your uh, list of demands. Here are the things I want from you when they're completely unbiblical. He's not going to do that. The blessing of God comes on our homes and thus on our children and the next generation when we live out the covenant of marriage. And I got to tell you that this means a lot to me for one, for one of the most important reasons, and I've alluded to it, uh, but I want to emphasize it here as we close, and that is that human emotions change. They vacillate. They rise. They fall. You know, I can, my wife and I can be holding the hands and be tender and sweet with each other and go out to dinner with friends, and then one of us says something maybe we shouldn't have said. Nothing horrible, but just a little bit hurtful. When we go home, the mood's changed. <laughs> well, you know, maybe it's changed for two or three days. Maybe we have something we got to work out. That's normal. But your feelings aren't all happy and romantic. And if you interpret your feelings as the guide to whether your marriage ought to stay strong or, or whether you're covenanted or whether God's involved or whether this was the right spouse for you or whether you ought to stay in that marriage, well, then you're going to leave. I mean, feelings vacillate, feelings change, feelings rise and fall. They rise and fall based on our diets or what we've seen on the news or, you know, how, what the last kiss was like as we left for work in the morning or whatever. You cannot trust your feelings when it comes to your marriage. The heart's deceitfully wicked. Who could know what the Bible says? No, you've got to trust the covenant of God. You've got to trust God's will. You've got to trust the blessing of God in your home. And men, you have got to take responsibility. Now, there's years more stuff to say about marriage than what I've been able to say in these 315s. But this marriage covenant is the heart, the source, the core of strong and valiant marriages. And when you look at the marriages that you respect, the marriages that have existed for decades, the marriages that have produced children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that are, that, are, that are heirs of righteousness, in almost every case, you'll find that those great-grandparents or grandparents lived out the covenant cared for each other, surrendered their rights, hammered things through on, uh, during the tough times. He protected her, loved her, pastored her, understood her. She respected him, gave herself to him physically, made a loving home. They covenanted together and made things happen. We need families like that in this generation. We need righteous families based on the covenant of God. Not just emotions, not just demands, not just whatever romantic things are happening on the cover of Bride magazine or on the cover of, you know, uh, man's health or whatever, not just about sex. Lord knows our, our society has sexed up everything. And thank God for sex and marriage. 
But the covenant comes first. So live that out to the glory of God. This is your 15th.